optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is it in a broken time? What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com TFS. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, my little magwai. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is typically my responsibility to distill expertise, or I should say rather, habits, tactics, tools, etc., from world-class performers. Those things that you can test in your own life apply to your own life, whether they are from the worlds of, say, entertainment, sports, military, or in this case, chess, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and tai chi push-ins. But this episode is going to be an experimental episode. I want to try a few things that are adapted from, share a few things that are adapted from my new book, Tools of Titans. You can find it on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, everybody. They should be available. And uh, it's also a highlight reel, in effect, uh, that you guys, many of you, thousands of you have asked me for. And we're going to invite back one of my favorite people on the planet, Josh Waitskin. Endlessly fascinating guy, Josh Waitskin. You can find him at joshwaitskin.com, was the basis for the book and the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. He was considered a chess prodigy, but he has perfected learning strategies that can be applied to anything by anyone. And I really mean that, including his 
loves of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a black belt under, I think he was the first black belt, under Phenom Marcelo Garcia. We'll talk more about him. And Tai Chi Push Hands, in which he was a world champion. These days, he spends his time very quietly coaching the world's top athletes and investors, working to revolutionize education. We, we've partnered on a number of things there. And tackling his new passion of paddle surfing. And in the latter, very often, nearly killing me in the process. I first met Josh after reading his book, The Art of Learning. And as I think I've mentioned, we've become very dear friends. Empty space. Josh has no social media, does no interviews, except for my podcast, for which he very often says to me or texts me, you fuck, after all, he is from New York City, and avoids nearly all meetings and phone calls. He is perhaps the best I've met. Actually, there's one other, Rick Rubin, who's been on the podcast as well, legendary music producer. He minimizes input to maximize output. And as Josh would say, quote, I cultivate empty space as a way of life for the creative process, end quote. So you might ask yourself, how are you creating empty space? How are you creating the slack necessary to connect dots that perhaps you haven't connected before or come up with original ideas? Josh is an expert here. I I cultivate empty space as a way of life for the creative process. Learning the macro from the micro. Josh really focuses on depth over breadth in everything. He often uses a principle nicknamed learning the macro from the micro. This means focusing on something very small in a field, whether that's in chess, martial arts, or elsewhere, to internalize extremely powerful macro principles that apply everywhere. And I'll give you a few examples. This is also sometimes combined with beginning with the end game. And... I will illustrate that. For instance, when Josh gave me a beginner's tutorial on chess, he didn't start with opening moves. Memorizing openings is natural, of course, and nearly everyone does it, but Josh likens it to stealing the test answers from a teacher. You're not learning principles or strategies. You're merely learning a few tricks that will help you beat your novice friends. Instead, Josh took me in the complete reverse, just as his first teacher, Bruce Pandolfini, did with him. So he took off all of the pieces, empty board, and he added three back in an endgame scenario where he would usually finish the game, king and pawn against king. So in this case, through the micro positions of vastly reduced complexity, he was able to force me to focus on the macro, principles like the power of empty space, opposition, or setting an opponent up for zugzwang, which is a situation where any move he makes will destroy his position. So, by limiting me to a few simple pieces, he hoped that I would learn something limitless, high-level concepts that I could apply anytime against anyone. I've seen Josh do this himself to many things, including, for instance, jiu-jitsu, where he can cover nearly all of the principles of jiu-jitsu, the main tenets that will help you compete at a high level by focusing on a single submission. Again, the end game, called in this case the guillotine, or specifically the Marcelotine from Marcelo. Garcia. And after he gave me this tutorial in chess, which was actually uh, part of it was recorded, and there's an extended scene that's available in the TV show I did called The Tim Ferriss Experiment, I went to Washington Square Park and lasted about 10 times longer than I ever have before competing against these street hustlers. And that was literally from practicing no openers, no nothing aside from these high-level principles with three pieces on the board. Pretty cool stuff. If you're studying my game, you're entering my game. 
Josh and I spend a lot of time discussing, and in some cases hanging out with or training with, Marcelo Garcia, five-time world champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, with whom Josh owns the Marcelo Garcia Academy in New York City, which I highly recommend if you have a chance. They have a very strict no-asshole, no-bully policy, and it's probably also the cleanest and certainly one of the most competitive jiu-jitsu gyms in the world. So, Marcelo. Who's Marcelo? Marcelo is arguably the best grappler of the last hundred years. He's considered the combined Mike Tyson, Wayne Gretzky, and Michael Jordan of his sport. And whereas most competitors are very secretive about their their training for competition, their competition prep, Marcelo does the opposite. He routinely records and uploads his exact sparring sessions. <laughs> In other words, his exact training for major events, which all of his competitors can watch. Josh explains the rationale. When he was competing in Abu Dhabi's Submission Grappling World Championship and Munjal's, which is the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu World Championship, mm-hmm. we, were sp- we were streaming his sparring sessions every night. So he was basically showing his competitors what he was about to use against them <laughs> in two weeks and three weeks and four weeks. And his attitude about this, which is completely unique, is if you're studying my game, you're entering my game, and I'll be better at it than you. I often share exact under-the-hood details of how, for instance, I've built the podcast or put together Kickstarter campaigns and so on. I do this really for two reasons, and they're reflective of two core beliefs. So let's talk about those. Belief number one, it's rarely a zero-sum game. In other words, if someone wins, someone else must lose. That's just not the case. It's rarely a zero-sum game in something like podcasting. And the more that I help people with details, the more detailed help I receive in turn. Belief number two, if it is competitive, I'm simply offering people the details of my game, right? My attention to detail will scare off half of the people right off the bat who would have tried. So now we're down to 50% of the people who have heard it or read it or observed it. 40% will try it and be worse than me because it's my game, right? I'm capitalizing on my strengths with my particular strategies and so on. But 10% will try it and be better than me. Now, is this a problem or is it not? And I would just say, see belief number one. That 10% will often reach out to me to teach me exactly what they learned and did to get better results because they are grateful for what I offered in the first place, which was transparency. So call it karma, call it anything that you might like. I call it very, very useful. And plus, it's just a, a more offensive and not defensive way to live and to perform in a professional arena for me. Remember the last three turns. Uh, I remember when I went skiing with Billy Kidd, who, as you, you might recall, yep. is one of the, the great downhill racers from back in, the, I think, the 60s Olympic ski team. Awesome dude. Now he's, he's out in Colorado wearing a cowboy hat. Um, <laughs> just a timeless guy. Brilliant dude. And, you know, he was saying to me years ago when I first skied with him, Josh, what do you think of the three most important turns of the ski run? And, you know, I, I've asked that question to a lot of people since. And most people will say the middle because it's the hardest, the beginning because they're getting momentum. Billy describes the three most important turns of the ski run are the last three before you got in the lift. And it's a very, very subtle point. And for those of you who are skiers, you know that you know that's when the, the slope is leveled off. There's less challenge. Most people are very sloppy. Then they're taking the muscles off of, um, they're taking the weight off the muscles they've been using. They have bad form. Problem with that is that on the lift ride up, unconsciously you're internalizing bad body mechanics. As Billy points out, if your your last three turns are precise, then what you're internalizing on the lift ride up is precision. So I carry this on to 
you know, the guys who I train in the finance world, for example, ending the workday with very high quality, which mm-hmm. opens up, you know, for one thing, you're, you're internalizing quality overnight. Thanks to Josh, I now always end training sessions on a good rep, per se. Whether that's acro yoga, you can definitely learn more about that by listening to my episode with Jason Niemer. Gymnastics, check out Coach Summer, archery or other. For instance, even if I have 60 minutes budgeted for a workout, if I hit a fantastic PR, in other words, a personal record at, say, 45 minutes, or do something new particularly well in gymnastics, I pack it in. That's the end of the workout. In the case of archery, which is a a new passion of mine, I also use what's called blank bale practice. And a bale, like a hay bale, they would use, that you would put a target on and aim for. A blank bale is where I start and end all sessions with five to six arrows shot by feel alone. Eyes closed into a target that is a mere 10 feet away. So I'm not aiming at anything. And this is similar in uh, many senses to dry firing with firearms or handguns, for instance, to try to minimize any type of flinching that you might have in anticipation of the shot. And you're able to then kinesthetically incorporate the, the fine motor control that will ultimately aid you in other circumstances. One of Josh's favorite writers, Hemingway, had a practice of ending his writing sessions mid-flow and mid-sentence. This way, he knew exactly where to start the next day, and he could reliably both end and start his sessions with confidence. To turn it on, learn to turn it off, and vice versa. Marcelo Garcia, who we were talking about, one of my most beautiful memories is of him in you know World Championship, right before going into the semifinals, Brockus Bleacher, everyone's screaming, yelling, he's sleeping. Sleeping in the bleacher. <laughs> He'd wake him up. He'd sort of stumble into the ring. You've never seen a guy more relaxed before going into a world championship fight. Um, and then he can turn it off so deeply. And man, when he goes in the ring, you can't turn it on with any more intensity than he can. And his ability to turn it off is directly aligned with how intensely he can turn it on. So training people to do this, have stress and recovery, undulation throughout their day. The little things are the big things. We're talking about Marcelo talking about or embodying the principle of quality in all these little ways. These little ways you could say don't matter, but they add up to, to matter hugely. Oh, I think the little things are the big things yeah. right? because they're a f- reflection. I mean, this might sound cliched, but it's like how you do anything is how you do everything, right? And uh, it, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful and critical principle. And, and we don't, most people think they can wait around for the big moments to turn it on. But if you don't cultivate turning it on as a way of life in the little moments, there's and there's hundreds of times more little moments than big, then there's no chance in the big moments. Just go around for life. I mean, lateral thinking or thematic thinking, the ability to take a lesson from one thing and transfer it over to another, I think is one of the most important disciplines that any of us can cultivate or, or ways of being. And it's something that Jack and I have from a, a really young age. We began to cultivate this from when he was really small around this principle of go around. Um, we, we, we would, we would initially, it was like it, the first thing that time it happened is that he was trying, it was really tiny. He was trying to get in. We were in a little cottage, a single little cottage in a, in, in, um, on Martha's Vineyard, tiny little cottage in a big field. And he was trying to get in one door and he couldn't, but he could get in the other door. And I said, Jack, go around. And he looked at me and then he went around and then go around became a language for us physically. If you can't go one way, you go around to another way, but then it became a language for us in terms of solving puzzles and in terms of any way, time you were running an obstacle, go around. And then working with the metaphor of go around opened up this way that we would just have dialogue around connecting things, right? Taking a way of, of, of a principle from one thing and applying it to something else. 
And we've had a lot of fun with that. Embrace your funk. Um, that's a term my buddy um, Graham, who's uh, who's yeah. a, a dear friend of ours, who comes on our surf adventures with us. Um, he's a brilliant thought partner. Um, embrace the funk. Could you explain that? Yeah, we have to embrace our funk. We have to figure out what it, you know. You think about the, the the entanglement of genius and madness, right? Or brilliance and eccentricity. It, understanding that entanglement is always a precursor to working with anybody who's trying to be world class at something, because th- that entanglement is fundamental to their being. And they have to ultimately embrace, embrace their funk, embrace their eccentricity, embrace what makes them different, and then build on it. Who do you pick when your ego seems threatened? It's very interesting to observe who the top competitors pick out when they're five rounds into the sparring sessions and they're completely gassed. The ones who are in the steepest growth curve look for the hardest guy there, the one who will beat them up, or who might beat them up, while others will look for someone who they can take a break on. The importance of language on a rainy day. One of the biggest mistakes that I observed in the first year of Jack's life, or year or two of Jack's life, that I observed with parents is that they do have this language around weather, weather being good or bad. And whenever the weather, whenever it was raining, they'd be like, it's bad weather. You'd hear, you know, moms, babysitters, dads talk about, it's bad weather, we can't go out. Or it's good weather, we can go out. And so that means that somehow we're externally reliant on conditions being perfect in order to be able to go out and have a good time. So Jack and I never missed a single storm. Every rainstorm, I don't think we, I don't think we've missed one storm other than maybe one when he was sick. But we, I don't think we've, I don't think we've missed a single storm, rain or snow, going outside and romping in it. And we've developed this language around how beautiful it was. And so when now, whenever there's a rainy day, Jack says, look, dad, dad, it's such a beautiful rainy day. And we go out and we play in it. And, you know, I wanted him to have this internal locus of control, right? To not be reliant on external conditions being just so. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com all spelled out and just drop in your email and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it. 